Welcome to the Artist Engineer Podcast. Join me, Tony Tran. And me, Bill Robertazzi. Along with our amazing guests, as we explore how people's inner artist and inner engineer present themselves in their technical careers, in the art they create, and most importantly, in living creative lives. Today is Howard Robot. Howard is the creator of My Robot Friend, a musical and performance art project from New York City. Known for live performances where you will find him in a homemade robot costume with lights and all. Howard is also a creative software developer designing and implementing web, desktop, and mobile applications. Howard tells us the origin story of My Robot Friend and his philosophy of what it means to be a robot. He gives us his thoughts on how to fund a music and creative life while maintaining artistic freedom, and shares his insight on the overlap in creativity, collaboration, and community between software engineering and art. Well, we are happy to welcome Howard Robot to the show. Howard is a uh, artist who created abandoned a project years ago, I guess in the early 2000s, and had uh, some success with it, My Robot Friend, which is a uh, musical act that also kind of borders on performance art, I'd say, a whole persona that comes with it. And also uh, in his uh, other part of his life uh, is a software programmer. So he, I think, blends uh, these two worlds that we're interested in really well. And like to welcome you to the show, Howard. Thanks. Great to be here. Welcome. Can you give us, uh, folks who don't know My Robot Friend, your project, uh, a little bit of a description? How do you describe it? Think about it because it's uh, it's super interesting. Yeah, I mean, I think in summer you did a good job. I mean, it's it's a musical. I would say it's it's pop music and performance art are the two sides of what happens there. I mean, it's primarily, I mean, the music comes first, so it's pop music. But pop music can mean a, a lot of things to a lot of people. So, you know, I would say an older reference point for some of what it sounds like is maybe Devo. There, there's, there's a little bit of like more content, a little bit more contemporary, something like Hot Chips and sort of in Pimpin. And then there's this uh, artist called Bo Burnham, which is very contemporary, where like some of the sillier, the more funny things that I do are kind of his aesthetic and his sense of humor is in line with that. He does musical songs that are kind of like that. So that's a spectrum of it, but it's, it's not trying to be difficult musically. It's like, you know, there's rhythms, there's melodies, got a song structure. So it's pop music on one hand. A lot of well-known artists have either worked with me or covered my music, like the Pet Shop Boys and Robbie Williams and 
others uh, as well. But anyway, but that's the music side of it. And then performance art side of it. Performance art sounds a little lofty for references that may or may not resonate with people. I would say it's kind of like Daft Punk meets Blue Man Group or something. <laughs> uh, there, there's elements of, in the sense that like Daft Punk at their most lit up. But this is like if somebody was doing it in more like it's a home science fair. So <laughs> just that I make everything that's in the show. So it all, everything in the show lights up for the most part. And I wear a light up suit that I made and there's all these props. I guess each song kind of when I, it evolved to the point where I think of it like a magic trick, like I'm trying to invent something that's kind of cool, that gives it some kind of a visual experience that goes with the song at its best. That's what I'm striving for. There's a lot of silliness, a lot of like, I have a penis, uh, for example, that on different nights we either shoot flames or ping pong balls or sparks. Uh, or uh, confetti, depending on my mood. <laughs> uh, but um, but otherwise, like yeah, that's basically it. So I might mean, try to be as entertaining as possible with the live show, basically, and have an outlet for the visual art side of of what what I'm interested in. And you know, that's just evolved alongside of the music. The music is done largely independently, like myself with computers and instruments alone. Although I have collaborated with different musicians over time, different ways, and we can talk more about that if you want. There's a certain level of camp and burlesque. If a robot was doing burlesque, it sounds like. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've never, I've, I don't take off articles of clothing, so don't get the wrong idea. Uh, uh, there will be no nudity there. So, you, you know, if you look me up, Google me, don't be afraid. Uh, you won't have to see me naked uh, if you come to my show. But you're encouraged to get naked if you were awesome. to. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and yeah, and the music is uh, very, very listenable and, and enjoyable to listen to. So, uh, so folks who are listening and, and enjoy pop music that is fun to listen to, uh, definitely check out some of Howard's music. So performing, kind of getting into this persona and making all this equipment, transforming yourself into a robot, it sounds like it takes some effort. What's kind of the hardest part or the best parts of performing like that and the hardest parts? Part of what I could say is just, uh, just to add on to the sort of the history of it a little bit. Just that the name, you know, my robot friend originally came when I started making music independently. I was in a band before that. So I, I, I came up with a name, actually, like working with a computer to make music and working with electronic instruments to make music. I thought of that, those entities collectively as my robot friend because I was, I felt collaborative. Like a lot of songs that I had would not exist without those tools uh, inspiring me and kind of sparking it. So so that was originally when I was like alone and I started doing that. I was so excited about this was in the late 90s, early 2000s. And so making computer music was somewhat new for your average person. I mean, Kraftwerk had been doing it for a really long time and other people doing it for a long time. But, but anyway, it was new to me. And uh, there were, it was just so refreshing to, to kind of have that uh, interaction. Like it, it felt real and it felt collaborative, but, but to have dictatorial rights over what came my way <laughs> felt really good. Um, and then... You know, it wasn't until I, when I had the problem of having to perform it, I could choose one of two routes. Like it was either getting a band together for the sake of performance or doing something that didn't involve a band, but that was theatrical. And I chose the latter. Like, and so then it would just became a question of like how to do that. I followed it in sort of intuitively. Like it wasn't like I had a plan. I didn't even have the realization until early in the process of doing some shows and preparing for it. I was like, oh, like I'm the robot. <laughs> 
and I actually wrote the song I Am the Robot that I have like kind of when I had that sort of revelation it's a joke song but but I do actually have we can talk about if you want a philosophy of what it means to be a robot but I realized that that in the shows that like I am the robot and I'm the robot in those performances that's the central character um not that it's really a character but it is me <laughs> uh and and uh and yeah so the way that I I think about being a robot is that like I I think humans at their best are robots and it's difficult to swallow sometimes because we we use robot we think i think people generally think of robot and automaton like interchangeably so like i think of it as you know we have a program like as we're complicated machines like every human is a complicated machine and we have internal programming granted it's squishy and soft and not you know ones and zeros but there is a program inside of us and we all have uh a program that's slightly different and a way that we're designed to serve humanity so the, the idea is like robots are machines that are designed to serve humans in a positive way, like as a way, like, you know, that we would kind of have these rules that by and large, unless you're like one of a very small number of people that has some kind of, uh, I know, issues with humanity. <laughs> there are some people that are just evil. Uh, but, but I think most people have kind of a path that's set inside of them a way that's going to make them feel good and actualize their work in life. And so, you know, it was a kind of, a, it's sort of a spiritual way of looking at things and there's some faith involved in that notion. But, you know, I came to that sort of pragmatically. So I didn't really have to be a persona and pretend to be, I am a robot ma a machine, but that I could be a robot and say, hey, I am a robot. And because part of the awakening of doing those live shows and performances, for me, um, there, was a, there was a lot of growth in it. Uh, somebody came after right after 9-11. So it was around 2001. And if you were in the city at that time, it was, it was a wonderful, it was horrible, but it was also wonderful uh, in the nightlife world, which is where I started and where I was out and about like doing this stuff. Like I stopped caring as much what people thought of me and was willing to be ridiculous and screw up and do dumb things on stage. And my show has evolved a lot. Like there was a point where a friend who had been collaborating with me said, oh, it's actually really good now. <laughs> so meaning that there was a time period where it was really bad. And I have photos to prove that it was, it was really bad at one point in time. It was just I mean, I just kind of just started and got up on stage and took some risks and was ridiculous and maybe a little less ridiculous and maybe a little more artful over time. But and the ridiculousness is deliberate as opposed, you know, last with as opposed to last at. Um, but uh, but yeah. So anyway, that's a little long winded, but some of the origins there. Um, and I didn't I don't think I even answered your question. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's, okay. it's actually great stuff kind of an interesting uh, a whole other interesting tangent of like uh, having the courage to, to just jump up and do something and then as you say get better over time and and yeah. refine it and refine it and a lot of people get stopped in their track uh thinking they can't jump up and do something because they're a little scared so is there to give you credit yeah. for that yeah the, the whole yeah all the performance art dimension has been like a leap before you look look sort of thing mm -hmm. and there's lots of funny stories and lots of danger involved in that i mean you know quite honestly like the first time you know i i joked about my my uh flame flaming penis but there was a time when i had to put something on my crotch it was going to shoot flames and you know you don't know how that's going to go and you're <laughs> and there's not like there's a manual that says hey do this and make this thing this way like and there are stories, lots of funny stories actually around that as well. But, but, you know, I've been slightly like, I've gotten electric shocks on stage from like, I, you know, I made these things that light up and they're on my arms, but the, but they're originally mounted on sweatbands and I would practice at home. Everything is great. You go on the road. And, you know, the first show is like somewhere in, with, with these things is somewhere in Germany. It's like 90 degrees inside. And by the fourth or fifth song, when I'm, jumping around like an idiot 
I start to feel shocks on my arms from these things because I sweat through the sweatbands and now I'm conducting, you know, <laughs> through these things. And it's just funny because you never would know this otherwise, but I had two on my ankles and, and like three maybe on my wrists, on my arms. And they were all like shocking me in sync. And, and uh, anyway, it, it, you know, eventually I, I, and I, sh I shut it off. I'm still getting shocks, even though it's turned off. I had to physically unplug them while doing the show. Anyway, things like that would happen. But yeah, anyway, uh, sorry, <laughs> tangent again. That's, that's great. So we're, we've uh, talked a lot about art and technology and, uh, and the merging of those two, which is a lot of what your, your show is. Where did you, where, what were your interests kind of, you know, growing up or getting into this? Was it, uh, did you have uh, one drive and the other? Or was, was one uh, more prominent as you uh, became aware of it? Well, I, I guess by the time I started doing this particular show and these particular things, I had some engineering experience, but the engineering that I do, like software engineering, didn't have too much overlap with this or help me, help me once in a while. I've, I've been more of an artist, like looking back, I feel like my soul has always been more in art than engineering. Although for me, kind of the engineering is like the part of me that gets stuff done and also has served the art. So, you know, I've had to learn things engineering wise to, and sometimes failing at it in order to actualize ideas that I had, you know, you want something to light up, well, you've got to deal with engineering, you know, depending on, I mean, I'm a big fan of black boxes, but even so you still have to know something about electricity and how it works and you're soldering things. And so, you know, you, you, I try always to find the easiest way in, like, I like black boxes of any kind, even in engineering, like I, I I'm not someone who wants to get under the hood. I like to build things and I like to have the biggest tools to build things as possible. And so that's kind of a, a rule that I've applied across the board, but yeah, but from early on, I've, I've been interested in art, like visual art, drawing, uh, painting that came before music. I've always loved music, but it wasn't until um, I was like in my 20s that I even started making music. But I've always thought of myself as like an artist first and kind of what I've always wanted to do was art. So engineering, even, even funding wise, like my move to be a software engineer was completely pragmatic. It was like, I need to make more money than I'm making. I'm good at this. I like it because I had expo been exposed to it through a required course. I didn't know that in, in college, like I didn't know that I would like engineering. I put it off till my final semester of senior year. And I was like, oh, wow, like, I like this and I'm good at this. When I needed to make a U-turn in my career and I needed to make money, I was like, I'm going to do this. I'm going to learn it. And so that, that kind of how it works. I mean, engineering has been the thing often that funds my life, it's also been a fuel for making cool creative stuff. It's like having the superpower. So I'm motivated to learn more as an engineer to fund creative ideas, but, but they can also spark ideas as well. Like engineering, uh, the engineering side can be the foundational spark for ideas creatively as well. Like there are times, like, for example, like sometimes with the show, it's even just looking like learning about technology, learning about ideas and neuroscience even have, have sparked ideas creatively. I'm like, oh, I could do like I once did something, just a small theatrical thing for friends and family that was inspired by some neuroscience thing I read. So, I mean, that's not exactly engineering, but ideally when I'm creating these magic tricks too, it's like you, you pull something from this other world that nobody wants to use for ridiculous purposes. And that's, that can help be the spark or the start of something creative. So they're kind of a yin and yang and they do work together, but in my heart and soul, like I, I think the thing I want to do is, is make, make art and everything else is about you know, giving me the time and the ability to make cool stuff.
that's uh, interesting. You brought up the need to make money, which uh, is a theme that we hear pretty reliably here uh, on this podcast because it's uh, the dilemma for, for creative artistic people and, and uh, getting uh, paying the rent via your art compared to paying the rent via software engineering or something like that. So how did you manage that? Uh, I think you kind of hinted at it. You kind of had to pivot to it. And how did that affect your, your art and creative life? I've never had a plan to, to, that I'd make a living from my art even from when I was younger, uh, some of it comes from, you know, a middle-class background and having conservative, not conservative politically, but conservative economically, family influences and stuff, but just seeing the world and thinking that, you know, there, even if I could make a living from a uh, financial living from art, it's kind of a trap because you, you aren't free. Um, but unless you have money from your family, which I don't, <laughs> you know, there are constraints that the world places on you. So yeah, so I mean, it was always a plan that I would work to work at some kind of a job to fund my art. I was I was fortunate that actually early in my or some stretch like the two thousands when I was most active with my robot friend, I, I if I could make have made a T shirt for those years, it would have said coasting on my skills for a decade. You know, like I was at a job where like uh, I was lucky in that uh, I was more than meeting the demands of that job, and and but I was able to. Uh, have time and space to do art. And that was kind of a lucky break in a way because, yeah, it was very relaxed and they weren't really that well organized, <laughs> I guess, in a certain way, but still were making money enough to be happy. It wasn't like a public company. It was a small startup. So, but that, that during the heyday of being able to, you know, go on tour for like a month out of the year, uh, for example, and still have healthcare and all of that, like some of it was a degree of lucky into it. But my plan was kind of Going, when I started doing engineering, my thought was, oh, this is going to be big. This is before the dot-com boom. Like I got in like right when the dot-com, like I was trained up by the time dot-com boom, you know, hit. So there are lots and lots of jobs and lots of opportunities. And I thought, you know, I'll, I'll gun it here. I'll work for a while. I'll take a break. I'll do art. I'll come back. That's kind of how I thought it would go. But it did work out where I could, I could do both. But where I've run into a trap is like kind of later with that, like when that job, you know, that company, hey, surprise, surprise, they went out of business. Uh, no, they got sold because they weren't the <laughs> best run business in the world. But uh, when that, I had to retrain myself, like I had to move to, from like what I was doing to mobile engineer. And, and in that d- decade of time, you know, there's been a huge professionalization of software industry. Like, so it's a lot more serious now. There's a lot more involved. And, and actually, I've enjoyed it a lot more. Like I, it's been really cha- like more challenging. It's been great working with the team, all the things that you have now, like code review and even just like growing as a person through working on a close team with people, like all of that, like I've gotten a lot out of my work side of things, but work has dominated more than art, let's say for the, you know, the next decade after that, that and kind of family life. But basically, yeah, I mean, I've balanced it by having this other career, you know, having the engineering fund, this other side of it. And that's a difficult thing uh, to do. Yeah, there's a very interesting thing you said um, that if you wanted to make a living off of your art, financial living, that can become a trap. It's really, uh, really insightful. Is there a way that you're trying to have both, uh, have your cake and eat it too? Uh, kind of do the art and not be trapped by it? Yeah, it's, a, it's all a trap. But no, I mean, you know, like I said, it's, it's, a balance. it's been a balance. And sometimes one, it tips one side and one, time t- one side it tips the other. The thing is, like, making it so that my art didn't fund my life. Like, you know, there were times, like, like I said, when I, when I had gotten big enough with music, 
who knows what I could have done if I had quit my job and really leaned into it and pushed harder. Like you, everybody might know my name, right? Like, and I might have gotten to see things, uh, you know, uh, other echelons of success that in, in certain people's eyes, but it wasn't something that like, I saw the cool stuff, right? I mean, I guess the thing is just like, it, but it takes a lot of stamina, right? Like that you, it takes a lot of stamina to be working two jobs and doing it seriously. It takes a lot of sacrifice. Like I would say like, my, my joke, I guess, is, you know, yes, I have a simple secret. It's just three words. Don't have kids. That's another part of it, too, is like, you know, if you want to be a parent, you can't do this. You know, like it is something. I mean, I'm, it's a joke, but I'm also serious. You know, that's a choice I made as well. Is like I, I, I didn't want to have kids. And if I had had kids, I don't think I would have been able to pull off that balance. There's no way I could be a father and work a job and also have this music career and pursuing art in a serious way. It's hard enough being in a serious relationship. A lot of the decade that I was doing my robot friend, I wasn't in a serious relationship. And so I was able to do my job and this, and I didn't have to answer to anybody or anything. And answering to anybody, anything is a good thing, right? Like, I don't mean it in a bad way. Like I, I wouldn't trade where I am now for where I was then, but I, I don't know that I could have pursued both with the same level of determination if I was in a serious relationship. Um, Cause that requires commitment. So, yeah. So, I mean, unfortunately it's like, there's not a secret answer that I have, you know, if you want, if you want both, you're going to have to make some sacrifices. I think, it, you know, if you want to have like a, or, or have family money, right? Like that can work too. Yeah. <laughs> or invest in cryptocurrency and maybe you'll, you'll flick a rich. Yeah. <laughs> Get it big. Yeah. Yeah. There's uh, I've heard that before with uh, other kind of famous artists or if you read some of their biographies and things or musicians, there's a certain singular focus. This is, I mean, they wanted to really be that, that big, as you say, to the upper echelon. And that was maybe the focus, but they knew that, or, or if they were self-aware, they knew they couldn't commit to anything else in their lives. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, there's a certain uh, focus or maybe self-centeredness, whatever it is, but to drive you to that, yeah. to go to that level, right? For some of them. And then I think some of the ones who maybe do add people into their lives, do people suffer from being in the lives? <laughs> so uh, so uh, I think that was uh, a good call probably on your part. Yeah. I think that some of the motivation is like before, like being in a healthy, loving relationship is in a way a cure for some of the ambition. Cause I was an ambitious person. I wanted to, and I still am, but I think my ambition, you know, in age and having um, been in a relationship that involves love and acceptance, is something that has helped me uh, just balance it and not care as much about like worldly success and recognition because that was, I mean, you know, I needed to, I wanted to prove myself. I'm worthy of being loved by this thing I'm doing is definitely the unhealthy part of it. There's a lot of healthy stuff in there, but a lot of the drive is that like, is that crazy? Like, you know, I don't know, you know, delirium that somehow doing this is going to make the world see me for who I am and how wonderful I am because I haven't found this in my life in another way. So, you know, being in a relationship does temper some of that because you get a lot of satisfaction out of that. And like I said, even just relationships in life, like if you're helping people there, you know, you're using your creativity, you're using your, your engineering skills, financial engineering skills or whatever it might be to help people. It just feels really rewarding in a similar way that the other stuff does. It's just that other people don't see it. <laughs> Going back to kind of the... the uh the financial uh, needs and balancing all that. If, and you mentioned, you said, oh, if I, maybe if I didn't, if you had family money or if you had some financial independence, 
how limiting is that that is to your creativity? Do you have like ideas around kind of larger creative plans, like a point in time where you, uh, you can focus full time on art? Yeah, I mean, the, the looking forward degree of it is like, you know, several years ago, I, I discovered, this, you know, the idea of financial independence, which, you know, if the, the, it's concept, you know, FI or whatever you want to call it, like it's been something that's, you know, very prevalent in our American society anyway, like it's a growing notion. And, and I was so inspired by that when I found out about it, because before that, I didn't really have the financial literacy or the understanding of that idea. Um, so the, you know, the simple idea being that there is a, there's a set number of a set amount of money that you need <laughs> to retire and understanding how you determine that number and then working toward that number as a realistic goal. And so, you know, once I, once that door was unlocked for me, I, I'd been pursuing that in an earnest way. It didn't mean that my life changed other than that. I was more intentional about how I was spending money and how I was saving money. And I knew, and I still know what my number is like th- this number where, I can save enough that I don't have to work my day job again. And that, you know, there's a time horizon for that for me. And that's really, really exciting to me. Like, you know, when I'm looking at the future, that's my future. It's scary and it's exciting. But the idea that like, I will no longer have to work at my engineering job anymore in order to fund my creative life and I'll have some security. And I have no idea what that'll be like. Because I've never had that in my life. I never had that luxury in my life of just being able to focus on just the creative side of things for more than a, like a vacation, you know, um, solely. So I'm excited about that. But yeah, I mean, the way, the thing I would just say, plant the seed, I, you know, you, I could talk forever about financial independence, but I mean, I know because I haven't, I've listened to every single podcast you guys have done that you haven't talked about it yet, but I would just say to the listeners, like, if you're an artist and you're listening to this, and you're like thinking about what, what could be a, what could be a possibility for me in my future, you know, just Google financial independence, you know, and you'll find lots of uh, information on what it means to be financially independent and how you could get there. It's something that's achievable for us, for lots of people, like, you know, any kind of job, it's not just engineers, although it's easier, the more money you make, but teachers have done it, you know, people across the spectrum, yes, you have to have a job and you have to have income to make this happen. And it's not like a pipe dream and it does take time and it does take determination, but you know, it's something that I think could unlock a lot of doors for people, um, potentially, if they didn't already know about it. Great uh, advice, too, for our listeners. And I, I, yeah, two things, I think the intentionality that you mentioned, I think so many people aren't intentional when it comes to their relationship with their money and how they spend it and how they make it. And it's uh, maybe a little more externally driven, but really reflecting on that and thinking about it. And then the, the, uh, the scary element of, you know, oh wait, what do I what do I do with all my time now? Oh, <laughs> it's the unknown, which uh, which I, I have a feeling you'd figure something out. Yeah, that that part is just it's super exciting. I mean, the thing is, one of the things that I think you know, if if there are creative people listening to this, the thing that that isn't scary about it is you have a why. Like you probably already have a why. Like like a why why you're here, why what you want to do. Like that. I mean, there's a million things I want to do, right? Like I I don't I'm not going to run out of creative uh, projects until I die, even I just were doing the things that I have in the back of my head that I want to try. So that's exciting. That's like super thrilling. And that is a problem because when you delve into financial independence, at a certain point, you bump up against happiness. What makes me happy? Why am I here? What am I doing? And uh, you, know, you start with money, but you end up there one way or the other. And so it's nice to at least have a feeling that uh, I know 
what I'm going to try, but it's just sort of like, just even being in that world, like that's, it's just really scary. New things are scary. And when I, when I get there, it may open up other, like, I don't know, other things that, that like I wasn't expecting that will happen. So it's, and that's also great, right? Life should be like that. You should be pursuing things that are scary and, and uh, exciting and new so that, you know, it's just still scary to me, if I'm being honest, even though I know, um, you know, the things I would start doing right away. Can I pick up on one aspect of something you said when you started with My Robert Friend, you were working alone with computers and tools, they were your friends, and then you made kind of a parallel journey in the software industry where you said you started to work with teams and come enjoy working with people. Has that experience at work, kind of understanding how to work with teams, maybe enjoying it, do you think that's going to impact how you make music? Uh, the question is around, does creativity come from working with other people or kind of like internally kind of as, as a single vision? Yeah, I mean, that's, that's a great question. I, I think that I, I learned from work. I, I've become a better person because of work, because of that team experience. Like software is, you know, that was one of the great things about my work experience was for the first time working on a team of engineers in the same, where we're all in the same domain. Because I've worked with teams of engineers where like there's the artificial intelligence guy and then there's this other person doing this other stuff. And I'm, I'm the one that's application level engineering. So we're not crossing domains, but now we're, I'm on a team of all, we're all like Android engineers, for example, you, you know, you learn a lot from people. You also, there's personality issues where you learn the ways in which you're not <laughs> the perfect person that you could be when you interact with people. There's a, so collaboration can make art better. I know that it could make my art better. It also makes the experience better when it's set up right. I came to this world running from a a band experience that wasn't great for me, partially because of my own personality and age and, you know, the conflicts that come from that. And so it was a joy. My royal friend came initially from this joy of like, ha, I'm collaborating with machines and they're not going to complain. And they're, and I'm going to, you know, they're going to work as hard as I do and all this other garbage or whatever. But, but yeah, I mean, I think that I really want community and collaboration to be a part of my future more so than it has been in the past. That's why I sought out this you know, I mentioned the bottom of the ocean thing, like I, I kind of inserted myself in that process a little bit to work with other people on something bigger than me. That, you know, I just think that's, that's a natural evolution of where I go. It's my comfort zone to just be alone and working here and siloed and, and it just feels really good. And I don't have to deal with the psychological dimension of things, my own shortcomings and the shortcomings of others, that messiness. I just, you know, I ran from that. But work kind of taught me just that, yeah, that I, I, I can be a better person because of it. Uh, I think I've matured enough to learn lessons from that and like try to, and that, that the art can suffer for the sake of the relationships too, in my mind. Like what I think, you know, that, you know, because you, you often butt heads because you have so much invested in your vision or whatever ego or other kinds of stuff, like just being able to let go. I, I don't know. I still, yeah, I, I still feel like I might have uh, limitations that make that difficult. But yes, it's my striving ambition to pursue more. Uh, collaborative efforts in the future too. Very self-aware. I think also there's probably actual phases of your life career where you, you should work alone and, and you can work with other people. Uh, so there's probably nothing wrong with either one of those options. Yeah, but definitely my engineering life taught me how to work with people better. A lot of one-on-ones, a lot of, and just a lot of what works well, just seeing how people interact and just seeing the results that you get when you're on a well-functioning team. This uh, answered one of my questions, whether robots age and mature and grow emotionally. Uh, I think you've kind of laid that out yeah. and still uh, growing and maturing and, uh, and emotionally developing. So it's just terrific. Final thought on, uh, for me on 
which we kind of covered, but really to our theme of the, uh, the artist engineer mindset, you, you said you kind of feel you're uh, kind of born an artist and I kind of sense that in you, but you've obviously uh, drawn to a lot of technology and also a, a field that is uh, thought of as very kind of maybe cold and logical programming or something like that. Where, where do you see the blend, the, where, where it comes together and similarities and where do you see it diverge? Well, they're very similar in that you have a goal, like when you're an engineer, software engineer, you're making something, right? Like there's, and there's creativity to that. Um, I've been fortunate to be at jobs where I actually can play a role in product too and make suggestions about the product that we're building. So it's not just handed to me. I think you can be in a situation where you're just handed, make this thing and you know, you're just engineering to make the thing. But even, even in that world, there's creativity and there's, it's a similar thing. Like you're using technological tools or, or, you know, you're using engineering to bring something forth into the world. The difference to me, a lot of the times is just, it's like when I'm, in, when I'm cr- creating something, I'm making something. Like I, I've been kind of on the user end of the user facing product end of things. So I'm making things that are very tangible. Like I can make, there's a screen where stuff is happening. And so I'm making, there's an end result. I think the difference for me is like what I'm making, like this is in my heart and soul. Like, you know, it's great. I work for a company where I think we're making good things that help the world and they actually serve creativity because it's around video software. And, and, and so that's a good thing, but the difference is really just the what, like what I'm making. It's not something very special like that only I can bring to the world, you know, which is what the art feels like more. It's just kind of like, and it also the purpose, like, art can be a little bit more frivolous. And sometimes you don't even know what the purpose of it is, right? Like, it's like, what, what value does this serve? Well, it, it, it sparks me right now. And then you find out later why, why you made it. Engineering is very intentional. So the thing you're making always has, it's very buttoned up and it has a very you know, direct purpose. Nobody's gonna be like, you know what? I mean, I guess if I were to build out, like, you know what, just screw around in here for a while and we'll see what you come up with. Like, that would be very creative, right? Like if I was an engineer and there are engineers who have that role, and then, then it's not really very much different. It's just like engineering is a superpower. To me, it's like the tool you use to bring these things to life. That's how, I mean, it's in my brain how it works. And as I said before, it can also spark like things you learn in science and art you know, can, and, uh, can cross over into art. So, but, um, but yeah, so I just identify like there are people though that I identify more, that I work with that I identify more as engineers. Like that's their reason for being. And they have ambitions in that world to further that like if, if you're trying to come up with new paradigms for software like I, you know i work my boss invented the my first boss invented the lang- closure the language you know uh, so so like you know, those people are born engineers and they're really serious about it right like and i'm not i'm there i'm there to make stuff and be the best engineer i can i have to learn things to be able to keep up you know you're always sprinting to keep up with technology um but uh but it's not like where my heart and soul is like i'm not applying my creative energy to the field itself it's to make things using it, I guess. I don't know. I kind of feel like the people that I know, like, you know, the guy that invented closure is as much an artist as any other artist that I know. It's just the thing that he's making is abstract to many people. And it's not something that, you, that you're listening to on your headphones or watching on your TV screen. <laughs> but yeah, but I, I don't see them as that different, really. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed this episode. You can email us at podcast at theartistengineer.com 
If you have show ideas or want to follow up with feedback or just want to say hi, we'd love to hear from you, so feel free to connect. You can find more information about this episode in the show notes at www.theartistengineer.com. And finally, if you enjoyed the show, please leave an iTunes review as it helps the show get discovered by more people. And also hit the subscribe button.